Hello and welcome to Two Guys Die Alone 2018, a special episode of the 250 celebrating Valentine's Day next week. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. And this week we're talking about one of the most romantic, enlightening, and life-affirming movies on the 250, Ingmar Bergman's 1957 classic, Wild Strawberries. It's funny that you felt that way about this movie. I <laughs> That's not how I came <laughs> So That's not how I experienced it. So for listeners who are, are not familiar with the concept, who didn't listen to last year's special, when myself and Andrew decided to do a podcast, we bounced around a couple of ideas. And we, we, had, we had some back and forth, and we had different sort of ideas about the direction the podcast would go. One of our early suggestions was that we might do a dating, or like a, you know, two guys navigating the world of like Sex in the City, but with two very boring single guys. A, a, a lifestyle uh, podcast that doesn't provide advice, more a cautionary tale. Yeah. Like, um, like a weekly kind of... <laughs> Uh, uh, Podge and Raj, but but based on the same uh, uh, two people's stories. Um, yeah, and um, we we sort of we decided that would be an interesting approach to take, but it wasn't necessarily going to be viable in the long term because it mostly consists of Andrew talking and Darren nodding through gritted teeth. Yeah, emotional yeah. stonewalling. This is uh, this isn't one of those podcasts where we start by saying, um, "Hey, Darren, how how are you? How have you been last week?" And Darren's like, "Oh well, let me let me tell you, I've uh, I've um, I've, sta- I've I've started doing um, hip hop classes." And it's like, "Oh really? How's that going?" And it's, it's like, "Oh, yeah. it's limbering me up, no, you know." You, it's, yeah, we're, we're I'm an emotional open book. Yeah, yeah, um, is what I am. But no, so we decided that once a year on on Valentine's Day, being the most you know sort of romantic sort of day of the year, we we sort of try and revive the concept a little bit, and we return to the title, which I'm not sure which one of us suggested it. But I think Two Guys Die Alone sort of summed up the nice sort of core kernel of that lifestyle podcast that sadly never was. Yeah, I think it may have been me. Uh, <laughs> con- con- considering the the idea was 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 vetoed sensibly by yourself, <laughs> I, I think it might have been me. Yeah, the were, the alternative were, was hard pass. Yeah, the. <laughs> Well, Soft Pass was the name of my body horror movie that I suggested. <laughs> yeah. um, also got a hard pass from Darren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, yeah, so basically we thought that we'd take a look at some of the romantic movies uh, on the 250, in keeping with the spirit of the holiday that, you know, you were about to enjoy. And what happened was this year, Andrew suggested... Or endure. <laughs> Whichever one it is. But uh, this year, Andrew suggested Wild Strawberries, which took me by surprise, given that Andrew, you know, he traditionally isn't the guy who's like the movie expert on the show. But Andrew was, <laughs> he threw the idea out there. That and- surprised you, but... Um, late, late. Oh, it got better when we started watching it. Um, Andrew suggested Wild Strawberries. I said yes. We started watching it. For two lines into the movie, Andrew's like, "What language are they speaking?" Uh, and then a moment later, he's like, "Who, who directed this?" Yeah. Yes. So, what drew you to Wild Strawberries as a potential Valentine's Day special? The short IMDb <laughs> description. I, I I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it was something along the lines of an old man confronts the emptiness of his existence. 
And you were like, that is the perfect movie um, to cover on Valentine's Day. Of course. It is. Well, it's, it's a nice Valentine's Day alternative because last year we did Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's right. Uh, yes. After living a life marked by coldness, an aging professor is forced to confront the emptiness of his existence. So somehow it's even grimmer than the synopsis Andrew remembers. But yeah, we, we so we thought maybe we'd take a look at an unconventional romantic story. And there's a very clear like romantic sort of longing that underpins Bergman's Wild Strawberries. But yeah, it's it's maybe not going to be on a lot of people's date night movie. I don't think, as far as, as sort of these choices go. No, it depends. It depends on what note you want to establish <laughs> the uh, the relationship. You yeah, know, it's a great it's a great date movie if you want there not to be a second date. Fun story, actually. My um, one of my second dates was to go and see David Lynch's Inland Empire. Wow, I, I I had one a, a, a great first date actually where it was um, nocturnal animals. Actually, that would be an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. No, I we went to see what was it? we went to see Inland Empire, which is one of Lynch's weirder movies. So even myself, the Lynch fan, was confused by what was going on. <laughs> uh, the person who I dragged along was. Uh, even more confused and irate because it's it's also it's not only like a very Lynch movie; it's a very long Lynch movie. It just keeps giving. That's for... that's not the one with Robert Loja, is it? No, I don't think so. No, this is the one with uh, Justin Theroux, the underrated Justin Theroux, Laura Dern having a mental breakdown. What's the one with What's the one with Robert Loja? It, it's um, there. There is a David Lynch movie where where Robert Loja can't stand tailgating. Robert Loja, uh, David Lynch to the fact machine. And we're back from the fact machine. It is, in fact, 1997's Lost Highway, starring Bill Pullman and Patricia Arquette. Yes. Uh, which is, yes, one of the... Yeah, that that's sort of... That's much more, I think, comprehensible than, than Inland Empire, despite so, the fact it literally restarts in the middle of the film. Like, is that son of a bitch tailgating me? <laughs> I can't stand that. <laughs> I like how you make him seem like a lovable chump. It's like... Um, but yeah. Oh no, no. no. He, he's he's more um, he's more Sopranos Robert Loja <laughs> and less uh, big. Home Alone. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, so that there's, would there's two versions of Robert Loja <laughs> on the scale. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically, yeah, so Wild Strawberries, perfect date movie, really. Yeah. Um, it is actually. Oh, we should we should be clear. No. <laughs> Just in case anybody listening to this in yeah, the run up to Valentine's Day, much, it's like too much, too much sarcasm in this, <laughs> in this podcast without being entirely clear. Um, in case you're wondering, no, a story about an old man confronting the loneliness of his existence is not an inspiring film. Although obviously there is a strong romantic sort of subtext running through it. In like it deals with like lost love. It reflects on like marriage. It reflects on you know the compromises that you make. It reflects on the the idea of walling your yourself off emotionally i was uh, which i responded to a great deal i think i was so delighted with <laughs> this movie like there was, there was a, a moment in the movie where i thought yes. I'd, I'd made the perfect choice this is exactly what i was hoping it would be i think you even may have said this is better than i was hoping <laughs> yeah, yeah and i suspect that listeners who've already w- seen it know the moment we're talking about i was worried yeah that that that, that it would seem kind of out of place but <laughs> considering i knew so little about the movie um it was it was very, the the whole discussion of this was like uh, Darren was like what are we go- what are we going to do for Valentine's Day <laughs> I mean, like, for so, podcasting or yeah. just hanging out <laughs> 
and it was me kind of like exclusively suggesting movies and then giving like my preferences for for what they would be having like not seen most of the movies <laughs> but, it, but 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 knowing like a little kind of IMDb Synopsis. shorts description of them yeah. Well, I think, or, yeah, I think one of our criteria was that we didn't want something too earnest and sappy to watch on on a Valentine's Day. We didn't want to do Casablanca, for example, even though that would be an obvious choice to do. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like this works very well because I mean, famously, this was written by Bergman in 1957, which was at once a very productive and a very stressful year for the director. He wrote he wrote and directed The Seventh Seal, which was released earlier in the year, did phenomenally well, huge success story at the time, and is now regarded as one of like the most influential films ever made and perhaps Bergman's masterpiece which is you know no small accomplishment given Bergman's filmography he also moved to working in television for the first time he directed a television play for Scandinavian television which was the first time that he'd worked in the medium he would then go on to sort of jump between doing cinema and television for the rest of his career he he should really do like yeah um, advertisements for chocolates based on this movie (laughs) but I feel like you could you have a natural segue it it reminds me a lot of the uh, um, where there's original (laughs) (laughs) like bring the family together well it reminds um, it reminds me of those it must and again this is the stereotype of european cinema being sort of like artsy and emotional and depressing as compared to say american or british cinema this is like this is in part it's a movie that's inspired by the kind of um intellectual um foundations of europe i suppose there's a certain amount of place given to um, kind of Freudian dream oh, yeah. analysis of, of, of this movie. Or the, the, the well, whole... I mean, Bergman in general has yeah. a very sort of aesthetic. Like, Bergman has, in some respects, he's the embodiment of, of like, serious European cinema, particularly in the mid-20th century. Um, and much more so than, say, like, Fellini or whatever, who would be considered playful. Yeah. Bergman, Bergman always seems to take himself very seriously, to the point where the movie we just watched, Wild Strawberries, is considered, like the most uplifting, happy, and funny Bergman film that there is. It's generally regarded as, this is the feel-good Bergman film that we watched. Yes. Wow. Um, So Bergman tends to take himself very seriously, and quite rightly, to be absolutely honest. This this isn't a dig on it. There's there's a whole kind of um, conflict between, like, kind of um, enlightenment sort of rationalism and um, a spiritual meaning for the... This is a movie about a road trip where two passengers on that road trip are constantly engaged in an existential debate about the existence of God. It's and this very European. And this isn't even the primary plot of the movie. This is just something that happens yeah. in the background. In American road movies, it's like, ah, uh, I don't, I don't want to get a job, man, and have to conform <laughs> to what people want me to do. And and in <laughs> European road movies, it's like. Um, well, maybe there is, is there a god? Yeah, maybe there is no god, and we yeah. are just meanless, meaningless, you know, flotsam floating <laughs> down the river of life. Yeah. Would you like a boiled egg? Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of that running through it, and Bergman sort of takes this stuff very seriously. And there's an element of the film that it is you described as Freudian. It is absolutely Freudian, and not just in the dream sequences. The dream sequences are the most overtly sort of Freudian element of it, in that they so, in- yeah, it's because it, it, there's not only dream sequences. There's also sharp recollections where where they're 
I think uh, as he describes them, like as clear as, as if he the, was witnessing, as the present. Yeah. yeah, and like you see him interacting with his past in some ways, shape, and forms. But more than that, you also even get like there's a psychogeography element to it. Like there's a sense that thunderstorms during the film reflect the psyche of the characters mm. as much as they reflect like the fact that there's thunder happening. <laughs> you have like characters who exist as doppelgangers of characters from the lead character's past so yeah like he picks he bumps into random people who don't just remind him of people that he's known in a past life are played by people but different <laughs> yeah. like from a dream yeah there's got that sort of quality to it and bergman's films always have that quality to them and like wild strawberries is generally regarded as one of his most accessible works in that it's it's linear it's got a plot it's very sort of straightforward but it's still like it's it's wonderfully ambitious and clever and sort of like it is Freudian. Like, I mean, I was talking to you a couple of weeks ago about research that I was doing for another thing that I'm doing. And I was talking about how David Bordwell, who is like a film criticism historian who basically like looks at the history of film criticism and the discussion of film as it's evolved through time. And like one of the things that he found that was very interesting was that. Freudian, uh, Freudian psychoanalysis, right? Which, you know, it's it's the foundation of modern psychology, but has been largely sort of discredited or looked aside, and that we, we recognize it as a building block for modern psychoanalysis and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But in terms of art, it was also used to analyze a lot of classic films. So from the period of the silent film, like what you would do is you would have critics back in the earlier days would treat them almost as like Freud treated dreams. And so you can obviously see that as you evolve, you have like the discussion of themes, imagery, the condensed of time. But one of the things that's fascinating about film that I absolutely love, this, this wonderful fact, is the fact that when you're watching Especially a film... Especially with your research into Nolan. Yes, yes, that that is exactly what I was researching because there's maybe one of Nolan's films that like deals I with this theme. Anything. Yeah, completely, <laughs> uh, completely like overtly to the point of being the entire point of the film. But like when you watch a film, the part of your brain that is engaged is the same part that is engaged while you're dreaming. The part of your brain that processes the image projected onto the screen in front of you and makes sense of it is the same part of your brain that works while you're in REM sleep making sense of the images that your subconscious is ruffling through. And like there are all sorts of arguments about why that might be. So for example, when you're dreaming, you don't have a sense of time or place. You maybe exist outside yourself. You transition in a way that doesn't involve literal movements. So like you have cuts you have shifts in position you have elements and, and introductions to people who are at once familiar like so you recognize movie stars like you recognize max von Sydow when he appears in this film but he's not playing the same character that he's played in other films you've seen so you you can place him in the same way you can place a familiar face in a dream you know you transition between scenes judge dreads max von <laughs> no i think you mean game of thrones max von Sydow. what was it it was uh, the force awakens max von Sydow was one of my favorites um yeah one of the things millennial journal is not fantastic because you end up getting those sort of weird segues where it's like hey Max von Sydow's in this film what do I know him from Game of Thrones uh, Game of Thrones and The Force Awakens um, and gas well gas station attendant in Wild Strawberries but we'll talk about that in a bit more depth later on but there is like Bergman's work and I'm actually I'm ashamed to say I don't I haven't watched as much Bergman as I should have I watched The Seventh Seal and that's about it to be honest um, and I'm actually a little bit disappointed because we talked about this when we did the 400 blows in that European cinema in particular, like mid 20th century European cinema is very much a blind spot for me. It's a, it's an area in which I'm like academically familiar, but I haven't actually hmm. watched that much because there's only which, so much time, which is a nice thing about the 250. I think we can be very disparaging about some of the movies, um, that are in it, but they're, they're, 
it's given us a chance to to watch kind of uh, a French new wave and um, like uh, the uh, Russian movies. Tarkovsky and, and I mean, you were going to have some more Eastern European films coming in maybe later in the year as well. Yeah, and like and, and and more kind of uh, world cinema like the 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 likes of uh, Dangal and well the the Legan. Indian films. Yep, yeah, the Japanese films by Kurosawa. The animations right. like it is like it's not as diverse as it should be but it's it's still more diverse than i think people give it credit for it's not as homogenous as it would initially appear to yeah, be when you do I mean, a quick I mean, scroll through we like the kind of top 20 you you could say oh it's kind of the same sorts of movies but i think even then is the is seven samurai and spirited away it makes the top 20 seven, Se- samurai, seven samurai makes yeah. the top 20 so i mean it, even I, the good I the bad and the ugly which is it can technically sometimes Italian, seem childish when when we criticize the, the the kind of diversity of it i think it's maybe more of a positive approach to celebrate some of the diversity as it kind of develops. Yeah, and I mean, so when 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 we have uh, mo- movies coming in that are that are interesting and outside of our normal kind of experiences. English-speaking uh, filmgoers, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, like, Bergman is quite well represented on the list as far as directors go, in that he's had uh, five films on the list uh, overall. Um, he's had four of them are on the moment. The one that was on and dropped off was uh, Ingmar Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage, which was in very briefly in 2008 and dropped out very suddenly. But, like, I mean, so he ha- he has made an impression. He is reasonably well represented on the list. And I'm actually, I am ashamed to say that, like, I've only seen The, the Seventh Seal. Like, Although that said, I do feel like I've maybe seen Wild Strawberries before because I have seen um, Deconstructing Harry. Ah. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I don't feel embarrassed because e- even, even, even though I co-host a, a movie podcast, the, the, my, my, my role is not to know things. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yet somehow managed to pick the perfect Valentine's Day movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that's actually, we'll, we'll talk a little bit before we jump into the spoiler zone in terms of like, what what was your response to Wild Strawberries? You mentioned that it was better, it was more than what you could have expected from it, given that you hadn't seen it before and you picked it off a one-line synopsis. Yeah. But like... Did you did you enjoy it? What did you think it was brilliant? Would you recommend it? Do you think it belongs on the list? And uh... I enjoyed it a great deal. I'm I su- I suppose I've I've been comfortable enough watching your European movies that that have this kind of a feel to them. I'm kind of like I I suppose s- s- starting to watch them kind of like early on and especially kind of in my kind of uh, uh, teens and early 20s and have have uh, it was often something that would that would that would, that would come from um, like girlfriends of mine have having an interest in these movies and introducing me to them that way so i can't take credit for it myself this this is a very good movie and i was very happy with my choice of this which was very lucky i should say because this kind of captured what I think uh, two guys die alone is <laughs> the spirit of the movie conveyed on celluloid almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is about two uh, people men conf- <laughs> confronting. Uh, I mean, this uh, podcast that you're listening to okay. is 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 about a movie, but this podcast itself is about. <laughs> Two guys confronting their sense of loneliness, listfulness, and uh, isolation in an uncaring yeah, yeah. world. Using each other as a kind of a proxy for, <laughs> for <laughs> the love that they will never experience. Well, speak for speak for myself, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, it really, really does. And I mean, there's an argument to be made. Like, Bergman 
Like, as a director, you can watch. Like, as, as these European directors go, like, some of them have aged very, very well. And, like, there's an argument to be made that Bergman in particular has aged really well because he's been so influential. Like, when you look at... When I was, when I was watching Wild Strawberries, which was made in 1957, right? So it's, you know, it's well old at this point to use it like a technical measurement of time. But it is... It's well old, bro. It's well old. Um... But it, it is also... I do not know what that was. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> but it, it does... It feels, like, fresh and, and interesting in ways in that you can sort of see stuff... Like, for example, I mentioned David Lynch there earlier on in terms of, like, going to, to an art house cinema on a second date. Like, there are scenes in this movie, for example, which remind me a lot of, like, Lynch's use of establishing shots in, say, the Twin Peaks pilot, which I watched recently, where you have that wonderful shot of the pines with the wind just blowing in the leaves for a couple of seconds, which gives you a sense of mood and place, which isn't what you would have seen in a lot of American movies around the same time. You probably wouldn't even see it in an American movie today. And, like, when you see it in an American movie, it's a sign of, ooh, auteur, in inverted commas, and italics. But it, it sort of, it has that sort of flavor that reminds me of, say, what Lynch would bring to work like, say, Twin Peaks or work like even Blue Velvet, for example. And even, obviously, Bergman's influence on Woody Allen, uh, which which can't be exaggerated. Allen is a huge Bergman fan, the point where he's remade Wild Strawberries twice. He did it once with Stardust Memories, which was famously so bad that when he cut it together, he looked at the film that he made brought all the actors back and shot it from scratch again and still wasn't happy with the result and much more successfully then with deconstructing Harry uh, later on as well but Bergman's influence on, on Alan can be seen in everything from like crimes and misdemeanors through to deconstructing Harry and even in those me- horrible melodramas that uh, Alan did I think in the late 70s when he tried to sort of expand beyond doing comedy um, when he tried to sort of push himself a little bit and you, you got these sort of horrible, heavy-handed, sort of melodramatic, sort of take-themselves-far-too-seriously family dramas that were trying to trying to aspire towards the sort of seriousness and gravity and melancholy that Bergman sort of did, you know, without without breaking a sweat. Um, and it, it's just because of that, because, like, I wouldn't have grown up with this, this sort of cinema directly, but watching it now, it still feels... It doesn't feel new, but it still feels like cinema that I'm familiar with despite the fact I've never watched it which yeah. is remarkable I like austere filmmaking where it's, it's look looking at kind of um, life at its most kind of um, bleak perhaps was yeah or, yeah sort of um, I think aesthetic is maybe the wrong word but yeah <laughs> there, 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 there's I don't want people to worry about me too much. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there is a sort of a, sev- a heaviness and a solemnity to it. Now, to be fair, while Strawberries isn't that bad, it isn't as it isn't as heavy as I was bracing myself for it to be. And given how heavy it is, that's quite a statement. Like it, this is. Yeah, no, it it it, it, it it has moments of levity and it has jokes. It, does, it, and it has, has a great kind of a balance to it. Yeah, and which doesn't undercut any of the oh. kind of more seriousness. Oh yeah, of it. Yeah, like to be clear, that moment where Andrew turned to me while we were watching the film and said, "This is better than I could have hoped it would have been," is like a gut wrenching, heartbreaking sort of snap your soul in two moment. Yeah, but you have that with while also having a sense of playfulness and a sense of optimism in some respects that runs yeah. the film. Like, and, 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 and I mean, it, it's appropriate as well that it's not too um, unremittingly uh, <laughs> yes. dour because I, I suppose there is a certain tongue-in-cheek <laughs> quality to, to. to our choice of this movie. Yeah. 
But um, And it would be a bit much if the movie were, like, completely serious. I feel like we have yet to hit a challenge of, like, I worry about what happens when the 250 hits a movie like Schindler's List. Um, or, God forbid, like Hotel Rwanda or something like that. I feel like when we brush up against a movie that is unrelentingly serious and harrowing, I do wonder how our irony and sarcasm will survive, like... That's I, I I suppose we'll have to confront that when when <laughs> when, when, that, when we come when to we it. come to it. Uh, but anyway, so do you believe this movie belongs to be on the two fifty, Andrew? Yes, yes, I do. I feel like it's perfect in some ways, and and it's and, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And I don't mean I don't mean visually, although it is obviously visually well constructed. I mean just as a like a ref- piece of reflective sort of like a, as a piece of reflective writing. We'll talk a bit about how Bergman wrote it or why Bergman wrote it when we get to the spoiler zone. But it, it feels oddly personal and yeah. in, a, in a way that's also universal and that like i think that a lot of people watching it and like you have to keep in mind the guys that are doing this podcast are 30 years old and this is a movie yeah. about an 80 year old man reflecting on the loneliness of his existence but i feel like for me anyway i i recognized a little bit of maybe myself in it um and and that's remarkable for a movie about an 80 year old man made by a 40 year old scandinavian in 1957 uh in the circumstances that he was in yeah. You're aging him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I would also, I'm very happy to see it in the in the 250 as well. With that in mind, then, will we segue neatly into the spoiler zone? If 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 he was if he was 80, there there would there would be a problem of of, of how old his mother is. <laughs> yeah, but but it, it, I I I mean, I was trying to figure that out while watching the movie. Yeah, well, she is just the right age. She's yeah. 18 years old. She would have been 18 years old when she had him. But anyway, so with that in mind, then we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. So, Andrew, what is Wild Strawberries about for you? Well, it's exactly what it says in the tin. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> it, and it's a movie about um, aging and loneliness, and but also about kind of uh, remembering uh, one's past. It's about um, uh, love uh, lost. It's about, I guess, con- confronting the meaninglessness of, or the perceived meaninglessness of one's existence. But I don't, it, it, it's, it's actually not resigned, I don't think, to the meaninglessness. Be- be- because, because I feel about, of the way the movie concludes, yes. I, I feel like it's, 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 it's a, a, a dealing with and speaking quite frankly and and honestly and not really resolving that emptiness away but of showing that um a person can i suppose live and persist and enjoy and and sh- sh- showing that there is i i suppose a balance between the struggle that one has uh, uh, potentially in their mind about when when anyone anyone who's anyone who's inclined to kind of um, overthink things or to be a very kind of um, analytical can often find 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 themselves driven to moments of uh, de- depression or or, or worry, um, which 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 comes across in in this movie. And it it's it's something that's I I think dealt with quite well. It it does does portray a very kind of um, bleak point of view. I think 
which I would hope wouldn't be, wouldn't speak true to 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 everyone, but it, but it, but it's a very good encapsulation of that. I think a lot of people will have felt that way, even if they don't feel that way consistently. I think a lot of yeah. people have gone through phases in their life where they've tried to make sense of things and it hasn't made sense, or when they've reflected back on everything that's happened to them. And I mean, like one of the things that I do like about the movie, I'm glad you talked about the conclusion, um, is that it does. That resolution is almost that it's it's enough to try. It's enough to try and make sense or it's enough to try and engage with people. Like, yeah. you can't cure that sort of isolation, loneliness, that sense of, like, being separated or distant from other people. But in trying to do so, you accomplish something of itself. Yeah, and it's that kind of existentialist thing about um, there, there, a meaning hasn't been placed explicitly in this world for you just to to find it fully formed you have to kind of create um meaning um for 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 yourself and and to try and kind of um render some so um some something meaningful and as you say yeah to to try to um to accomplish that, yeah, exactly, is something of itself. Because the movie doesn't end with uh, it doesn't end with a nice pat resolution between um, Isaac and his son, um, because that would be too easy. It doesn't end with the two of them having a frank heart to heart and everything being okay. Because they do have a moment where, like, they have a small reconciliation where the son is surprised at how like Isaac is interested in his personal life and stuff. But then Isaac goes to broach the subject of the loan that he gave, and it's very clear that Isaac is trying to say, "Look, don't worry about the loan." But his son immediately sort of becomes defensive and retreats from it. But there's a sense that in that moment, there is enough, there's been yeah. enough made. I, f- I, f- I feel like it would be impossible to, for, uh, because of their relationship, for, for, for Isaac to, to tell his son, Ewald, that the loan uh, no longer needs to be repaid because that would be more, I suppose, humiliating to, to, to the son it would be it would be as if isaac were saying um i don't believe you can repay yeah it yeah yeah are, are you are not you are not a man of your your your, your word yeah yeah but i mean it's it's not even that it's the sense that i like, forgive you yeah it's a sense that for for the wrong that you you have done no no now go off and enjoy your dance. Yeah. But no, I, I feel like there's there's even something in the fact that like as much as Isaac like tries to make some sort of gesture in that regard, like Evald still has that distance between him. That distance isn't immediately closed and forgotten about, but it's it's maybe a little closer than it was, you know, embarking on the journey at the start where he was like, ah, let him wait at the airport. What do I care? Or, you know, I don't really want to know about his personal problems or whatever. But like the fact that Isaac makes the small gesture of like inviting him in to talk and like not dismissing his emotional concerns out of hand and suggesting that maybe he's interested in hearing about his son's like emotional life after being sort of walled off for so many years like that is a small step but it's it's also from Isaac's perspective a huge step yeah. and I, one of the things I like about the film is it doesn't offer a very trite tidy resolution because no. obviously when you're dealing with a film a film is a finite narrative you have two hours to tell a story and you close it at the end of it so you want to offer you know traditionally you want to offer a big bang for your buck and you want to get everything over and done with and wrapped up in a neat bow because that's the last time your audience is going to spend with those characters the last time you he was a writer going to spend with our characters but like i like that wild strawberries is is basically and and the struggle continues ending almost it gives you a hint that isaac 
has reached something approaching like an epiphany. He doesn't want to be lonely. He doesn't want to be left alone. He realizes that he's been too emotionally distant from the people in his lives, while also not ignoring the fact that, like, the relationships that he's established over the past 78, not 80, 78 years, you know, can't be repaired with a single kind word in the last 10 minutes of this yeah. film. And, and I, there, I like the honesty of that. Yeah, and there, there seems throughout the movie a conflict in both in terms of Isaac's behavior and his way of relating to other people and also a a conflict in the way that people perceive him because there's two quite different um sides of Isaac there there and 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 sometimes a lot a, a, a lot of the kind of um in incompassionate um uh, kind of inhumane side of of Isaac is kind of recounted to us so so Marianne who's yes. Isaac's um daughter-in-law daughter-in-law who sh- who, who, who she calls, calls uncle, uncle. Um, well, we'll talk about some of that later because I, th- I there's a lot of weird family stuff happening in this movie there is um, there is but we'll talk about that when we get to the Freudian stuff that's going to be fun the but she she talks about his initial response to to her wishing to to move in basically yeah yeah and and him saying that he wanted nothing of of their uh, marital uh, uh, squabbles and that it is kind of if you em- want psychiatric weakness yeah if you want psychiatric masturbation go speak to a psychotherapist yeah or star in a freudian film made by a swedish director one of those two options will work for you yeah. but then this- and and but but there's also the when isaac meets max von Sydow's character but by, by the way, the, the, it reminded me of 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 Wayne's World too. <laughs> the gas station attendant, gas played station by Mike, attendant. Max von Sydow, one of the greatest actors of his generation, and a frequent collaborator, Bergman, obviously, um, who obviously played a much larger role in the Seventh Seal, like which was the last film that they made together. I, f- I feel like Mike Myers must have must have seen <laughs> um, this movie, and and when doing the gas station attendant, he like turns to the camera and says, "I notice a small role." But can't we get something bigger for this? <laughs> um, and and then it's Charlton Heston. Yeah, you get the sense Max von Sydow was the first call on that one. Uh, but yeah, there there is something very much about that because there's a moment where when I was watching, it, obviously I noticed von Sydow's name in the opening credits. I think he yeah. appears like sixth in the credits as well. And when he appeared out coming out as the gas station attendant, it, I recognized him. And then I wondered like it can't possibly be max von Sydow playing the guy who gets the petrol but it is but the funny thing about that is that they all talk about how fond everybody is of of isaac and the great kindness that he, he demonstrates that 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 he demonstrates and in, in we in, haven't forgotten what you've done exactly and and sarah's character both uh, iterations of her so so there is um isaac was in love with his cousin sarah as a child and she and ended up hooking up with, with his, his, Siegfried, his brother Siegfried, yes, um, who's a milkman. <laughs> he's, dre- dre- well, he's dressed as a milkman <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> I, I, I also love the moustaches. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is how we can tell it's Sweden in the past. There are people, everybody's a milkman with a moustache. Probably in the Navy, but they do look like milkmen. <laughs> but she talks so much about how how lovely, how very lovely Isaac is, how incredibly lovely he is, and how how well, how they read poetry together, yeah. 
and um, uh, want to play duets on the piano, and he and, only kisses in the dark and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and and then the the, the and of course because this is a you know a European art house film in 1957, he talks a lot about sin. Yeah, and you get the sense that this is like this is what a Swedish dating app would be like in 1957. Interests include talking about sin and the existence of God. And then, f- 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 I guess, forty years later, maybe because I, I I think that's happening in 1917. But forty yeah. years later, when they're on the road, picking up a a a hitchhiker, Sarah, who's also in. Uh, the summer home whose family now i think is owns, are, are, are yeah. the owners of the this family home that isaac used to go as a child she is 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 very fond very, very kind of be, be, besotted with isaac tell tell tells him at the end of the movie that she loves him um today tomorrow and like for for, for yeah. forever more like there's, there's a and big recurring says, thing where sarah's, keep trying, that in mind. sarah's trying to figure out which one of the two boys she's with that she actually loves and at the end she says oh i i've decided that i love isaac and the film is only half joking when it says that yeah um and there, there is so, so there is this side to isaac of like a very tender kind side to him that that sits alongside his cold lonely emotionally distant cruel uh side as 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 well and i i think that that's a very kind of a like we we talk about kind of characterization in movies but there's something very real about 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 having these characters well, these seemingly Who, conflicting yeah. impulses in a character. like, And I mean, there's an element of like Wild Strawberries that is inelegant in some respects, which is when Marianne is in the car and they start driving in the first like 10, 15 minutes of the film. There's a point where she says, you're very soft on the outside, but underneath you're an egotist and you hide it very well, which is a case of like the script very much telling, not showing. But I feel like later on as the movie unfolds, you get to see that to a very good degree. And I feel like there's also a lot of that when it comes to the dreams. Like, there's a lot of voiceovers where Isaac is like, I, I, the film doesn't quite trust you to understand that a film, that the sequence is a dream because it's surreal and odd. You have a voiceover from Isaac saying, oh, by the way, I had a really disturbing dream last night. And, Let and me they, show it to you. And they do a harp glissando as well. Focus closely on his face and sort of shimmer a little bit as well. <laughs> yeah, they should have had the kind the of wavy like waves in the, yeah. Um, fun fact, you know, that that opening sequence the opening dream sequence um well first of all isaac is played by there's yeah there's there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about behind the scenes in this film but isaac is played by and i apologize for any swedish people listening no um, i I'll, I'll i'll butcher something later on okay i like that we'll take terms but uh, victor sojstrom um, who was a famous, he was 80 years old when he made the film, which is why, by the way, I confused him, I confused his age with Isaac's. He was a Swedish silence film, a silent film director, actually. Ah. Um, and when they were filming it, they would find um, that he had difficulty remembering his lines. He could be quite cantankerous on set. The cinematographer who worked on the film um, talked about how a lot of the film had to be adjusted around the limitations of, of casting this actor in the role. So, for example, a lot of scenes that were meant to take place outdoors were shifted inside. Um, and a lot of the scenes in the car, they were shot very, very, very quickly to the disappointment of the technical people in the film who thought that, like, the backlighting in the car sequences wasn't great. But according to the cinematographer, and these are his words, not mine, nobody was sure that Victor would be showing up for work the next morning. 
Um, and so there was this sort of like tension that existed as a result of that. But he was a silent film director uh. who had been a huge influence on Bergman as a, as a young director. To the point where the opening... Sorry, does, does he start every meal with dessert? Because <laughs> he doesn't know what it is. You know, like... <laughs> if he'll get to the end of the meal. Yeah. But uh, you know the scene at the start with the carriage where the coffin falls off and, and Isaac is confronted with himself in the coffin who grabs him and tries to pull him in. Which is a very evocative, very powerful sequence. Um, and I particularly like small touches like the fact that the watches have no hands and the fact the the eyes under the clock and stuff like that give you a sense of like being watched there's a sense of like listless timeless space and mystery and all this sort of stuff that Bergman captures very very well obviously having done like the seventh seal he does this impressionistic style very very well but that sequence was modeled on a silent film um that Victor had directed back um in the 30s or 40s which was called uh the phantom carriage Ah. Um, so it was a direct homage to that which I thought was very very nice oh that is nice it is yeah. uh, and there's, there's a lot of um, I don't know how much we've spoken about death in, in, <laughs> yes in, there's in a lot movie. of death yeah because there, there's 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 the um, Elizabeth II mother who <laughs> <laughs> just won't die <laughs> and, and her and, children no longer visit because they understand there will be no inheritance <laughs> uh-huh. and and uh, I, Isaac seems very much um, it is about to die and he's lo- losing his kind of well, to um, the point where when I was watching the film I was surprised it didn't end with him passing away I thought the film was very much building in that direction you know like they yeah. would find him in the morning or something um, and I was actually surprised when Isaac didn't die then he's the last surviving of 10 children despite the fact that he is not the eldest he was not the eldest yeah, so there is a lot of death running through the film. A lot of death and a lot of reflection on mortality. It was written when Bergman was in hospital. I mentioned that it was written in 1950, written and directed in 1957, which Bergman had a phenomenally successful and very busy year. He also had a breakdown uh, due to stress as well. Oh. So he wrote this while recovering in hospital, while um, experiencing the breakdown of a marriage, um, his third marriage. While he was also involved in with the woman who become his fourth wife, and while they were also going through some relationship difficulties as well, and apparently he's he's described the film as autobiographical, which is remarkable given that it's a movie about you know a seventy eight year old uh, written by at that stage Bergman had turned forty, but there's also there is a sense that like when Bergman talks about it being autobiographical. And we'll probably talk about one of the key scenes in the film now because this is the bit where Bergman was particularly, uh, where he considered to be particularly autobiographical. Bergman thought, I don't know how true this is, I don't know why he thought this, I don't know if it's based in fact in any way, shape or form, but his biographers have all sort of argued that Bergman thought that he was the child of a loveless marriage, that he was a child who was not wanted, um, that his parents didn't want to have him. Um, and so a lot of, in some ways you could argue, if you want to get sort of Freudian, that that plays through in a lot of the sense of loneliness and isolation that you see in his films. But it plays through very directly in one scene in particular in Wild Strawberries, which is the scene which Andrew, this, this is the moment where Andrew turned to me and said, this is better than I imagined it could possibly have been, which is the moment where Marianne and Evolde are having a conversation about the state of their marriage and she announces that she's pregnant. Yes. So, do- Doctor Ival Borg, uh, Isaac Isaac uh, is child in 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 no particular order. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll go through some 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 of the lines there. Some of the highlights um, of the conversation. He said it, it's it's absurd to bring children into this world and think they'll be better off than we were. 
Mariam Borg, um, perhaps uh, to respond, perhaps at some other point in the conversation, <laughs> says, that's just an excuse. Dr. Uh, Evald Borg says, call it what you want. I was an unwanted child in a hellish marriage. Um, and there, there, there's other, other, other highlights of that conversation. <laughs> um, I know that is uh, that this is wrong. And Evald re- replies, there's neither right nor wrong. We act according to our needs. I love European cinema so much at times. Yeah. Ma- 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 uh, this ma- is the most European of films. Marianne says, you're a coward. He says, yes, this life sickens me. I will, be, I will not be forced to take on a responsibility that will make me live for one day longer than I want to. And you know that I mean what I say. <laughs> how wonderful and how cheerful this is. It's they, just... they, they do this in the rain as well. They, 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 this leads Marianne to, to, to a sort of a realisation. <laughs> when she, she links that conversation with, with, with an experience that she has just had with, 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 with Isaac, Isaac and his mother. Yeah. And she says, I, I saw you with my... With, sorry, I saw you with your mother... And I was panic stricken. And Isaac says, I, I don't understand. And Marianne says, I thought that's his mother. An old woman, cold as ice, more forbidding than death. And this is her son. And there are light years between them. He himself says he's a living corpse. And Evald is growing just as lonely, cold and dead. And I thought of the baby inside me. All along the line, there's nothing but cold and death and loneliness. It must end somewhere. <laughs> and this is Bergman's lightest film, ladies <laughs> yeah, and gentlemen. Exactly. The mo- <laughs> mo- movie starts with Isaac in bed. Or, uh, uh, Isaac uh, imagining his yeah. own death where he's being pulled into a coffin by his own corpse. But e- e- even before he recounts his his dream that he's just had, he's kind of like give, giving a um, kind of a, 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 a little introduction to the movie. It's like, hi, I'm Isaac. <laughs> and this is my life. In our relations with other people, we mainly discuss and evaluate their character and behavior. That is why I have withdrawn from nearly all so-called relations. This has made my old age rather lonely. My life has been full of hard work, and I am grateful. It began as toil for bread and butter, and ended in a love of science. So <laughs> it's um, and it's re- 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 something, uh, yeah, that that that's um, is kind of like like is is a great kind of um, a resource for people is is to take their work, yeah. Um, and, and and just invest in it rather than doing other stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I'm going to be honest, I have probably done that myself in some respects. I throw myself into things to keep me busy and preoccupied because it keeps the mind off other stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and, I, I, and I think that captures it very, very well. And I wonder if there's an element of Bergman himself. Um, and every time I say Bergman, I keep thinking of Harvey Birdman. <laughs> uh, and I'm sorry, I apologize to, to the legendary Swedish Attorney director. Law. Yeah, but there, I wonder if there is an element of like autobi- auto. Well, he's described as autobiography in there, but in terms of like seeing that play out and sort of like psychoanalysis, the point where this is almost like this is almost mental masturbation, as as Isaac Borg would describe it. It's a sense of like working through some of his own anxieties and some of his own fears in the context of the film as well. 
Like, there's there's a lot of that in there, I think. There's a lot of that in what his biographers recognize in his own life. Yeah. Um, just existentially. But also, like, the Freudian construction of the film. Like, the film is... Like, the film is wonderfully lyrical in places. Like, there's a point where they go to visit Isaac's mother. And yeah. they're literally outside the front door. And Marianne says, huh, sounds like thunder. And you just hear this rumbling of thunder uh, under their conversation as it's happening. And you have like these all this sort of like psychogeography stuff going. Like, for example, it's raining during the, the, the journey, for example, at particularly sad points. Or it's raining and, and when, during when, the conversation. Yeah. yeah, during the conversation between Marianne and uh, Evald. But you have also even stuff like him bumping into Sarah, like while remembering Sarah at the same time, who just so happens to have the same name and is played by the same actor as well. Like there's this wonderful sort of uh yeah sort of like evocative quality or impressionist quality to like the film almost feeling like therapy in a way obviously for isaac as a character and like i wonder when i when i read about bergman as he was writing and i wonder if there was an element of that for him as well like because it it does feel incredibly personal and and like was you know i relate to quite a bit of it i suspect a lot of people watching it feel like they probably relate to it quite a bit but there's an element of like reconciliation there and wanting like a father and a son who have been distant who have like a son who feels like he was unwanted and doesn't want a child as a result of that reconciling with his father the father being a legendary swedish director who could in some ways be considered like a a father figure to bergman himself I, i wonder like is there an element of that playing out in it like Oh, certainly. And there's also the whole kind of like treatment of relationships and the, 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 the lost love um, of, of, of Sarah that he's remembering both in, um, in remembering that summer in 1917 and also in his relationship with the hitchhiker Sarah. There is, there's his recollection of his, his marriage. And the, the only part he recollects I was going to say her infidelity, but it, it's it's a, not, it's not clear, really. Yeah. Um, it's it's it 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 seems more non-consensual. That, yeah, that, that that somebody forced himself upon her. Yeah, which 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 is the same thing that kind of happens with 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 Sarah and Siegfried. Although she she he he contends that she has something for him, and she kind of um, seems to warm to it more as 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 as. Um, as it goes on and seems to to um, express herself that that there's something kind of very like um, exciting and passionate about Siegfried but the, 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 yeah the, it's not, it's not very clear and it does seem a bit um, unconsensual and the fact that this this woman is going to be um, blamed for this yeah and that you she'll have to be forgiven woman. yeah you've made me a fallen for, woman and stuff like that yeah I mean there one of the things that watching Wild Strawberry surprised me at the film, um, and it probably shouldn't have given how European it is, is the how candid it is about sex in terms of being a film from 1957. You never would have been able to make a movie that was this candid uh, in Hollywood at the same time with the Hayes Code and stuff like that. You'd have to be a lot more like obscuring the details. Of There's yeah. a moment where after um, I, I, I Karen... I, sh- I should say that... Perhaps it's a lot clearer than we're giving it credit for how unconsensual it is. He, yeah, the, the, he the leans person, in to kiss her and she and, pushes away. Yeah, and and then and then afterwards, when when uh, p- puts puts his hand on her mouth, 
Yeah, and catches her, pushes her to the ground, and, and you know, the, 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 it's, it's, it's such a, a strange thing, I guess, for for us to see as a, a contemporary audience. Not that we're surprised that this kind of thing happens, but we're surprised by how um, it's it's not kind of the the we're 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 attaching um, blame and and kind of contrition to 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 this woman in in a and the, the, well, the, is, the, I, the I wonder if there's an element of social sort of stuff happening so like social stuff happening in the context of you know obviously 1917 but obviously the later infidelity would have been what around you know 37 47 that sort of stuff where you know did the women have to play hard to get and like the fact that they have so much to lose in this like in this game, in this sort of like in having an affair, you know, yeah. you, all, you made it's me it. a fallen woman. She accuses Siegfried of, and like when it comes up at the table, obviously it's Sarah who runs away, whereas Siegfried seems to just sit there, you know, slurping soup through his mustache, yeah. hoping not to get any on his milkman uniform. And uh, yeah, and 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 the um, it seems as well that that the um, that the person I guess assaulting her yeah. um, is is also a doctor. Um, because because he wears the uh, doctor's dress of of an ermine cape and 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 an amulet kind <laughs> of uh, necklace and a, a coattails and a top hat yeah um, probably yeah I'd, I'd imagine also like a a, a sceptered cane <laughs> but yeah I mean there's also an element of Sig- like uh, sorry, Isaac remember like Andrew Lloyd Webber. Isaac remembering these scenes that he could <laughs> never have been present for as well that he would have heard about second hand, and you wonder how much of that is is distorted and stuff. But I I do think there is something in the sort of the candidness with which the movie addresses the non consensual aspect of this, the point where the women really couldn't consent, if that makes sense, and and being candid about that in the moment. Yeah, it's, cer- it's certainly, and and I suppose the consent is something as well that hasn't just kind of um, uh, redefined, or m- maybe I shouldn't say redefined, but um, understood oh, yeah, between between now uh, and then. But is also something that's that's still being discussed. And yeah, well, like we we would still be having these conversations about this power dynamic today, and it's sort of refreshing to see Bergman acknowledge that. Yeah, and to sort of see him sort of play with that, not play with that, because no, play with it sounds flippant, but to convey that, I think, in some way, shape, or form, like the scenes are a lot more nuanced and ambiguous than you would imagine. You know, man imagines infidelity in nineteen fifty-seven would look like. Yeah, which I think is to Bergman's credit in some respects. Yeah, um, and there there is something very powerful in that idea that the only thing that Isaac remembers of his wife, the only crystal clear image that he has of her is her cheating on him despite the fact that you know she she talks about how when she goes back he'll say you know i there's nothing to forgive i don't really feel anything how much he's talked about like shutting off the parts of himself like the part while strawberry seems to be obsessed with this sense of regret in many ways shape or form like the the moments that we see of his life are generally anchored in tragedy more than triumph. And they have this bittersweet quality to them. So obviously they remember, he remembers the celebration of the name day of his uncle. Yeah. Uh, but that turns out to be the day in which Sarah, you know, falls in love with Siegfried or, or abandons him for Siegfried um, or however that dynamic actually played out. And he also then, the only image of his wife he can conjure up is, is her being unfaithful uh, to him. Yeah. 
and, and there, there's a kind of a denial in 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 him because he he's um, the sadness that that his past is tinged with. He he has he has this kind of uh, facade uh, that that he wears for 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 other people, I suppose, in polite society when it's not a private conversation where where sarah the hitchhiker is like oh tell me about um sarah it's like oh it's a cousin of mine uh, 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 she 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 actually married my 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 brother siegfried yeah she's a 75 year old she's still alive yeah 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 it's it, it, it seems like oh it's funny you ask yeah, yeah. <laughs> great fun we still yeah. occasionally pay bridge and stuff like that there's absolutely nothing <laughs> nothing harbored there no yeah. uh i was in love with her but it's not like she broke my heart or anything yeah. we, we you know we still catch up every now and then you know invite her to christmas we have a, a you know a cake bake every once in a while you know yeah yeah the, these these cuts um uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> these these scars okay these Andrew. wounds okay these metaphorical cuts and scars and these yeah. wounds um also play out but you know the title wild strawberries actually the um you know where that comes from obviously aside from the fact that there are wild strawberries in the film and they're very strongly tied to the memories that um, that Isaac has. Yeah. It's actually a Swedish colloquialism um, for a patch of wild strawberries, which is a term for a place, a physical geographical location that exists as a place that is a hidden gem. It's a place that is just yours, a place that has some sort of special meaning to you because obviously uh. wild strawberries don't grow everywhere. They're not particularly common, uh, particularly these days. They're all like farmed and stuff, but they're very hard to find growing in the wild. And apparently, according to people who like strawberries, wild strawberries taste particularly delicious. So the idea was when you found a patch of wild strawberries, that would become like, you would keep that to yourself because you couldn't possibly produce enough to share with everybody and they tasted delicious. Um, so that's where the title sort of comes from is because these places while he's driving and like it's very clearly that, 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 that is something that i associate with being a child is having a patch of wild strawberries oh. in the in the sense of of having a, a place where you go yeah um because like as a child you have time to well i i don't know about uh about these days um children growing up but certainly when i was growing up there would be time to kind of like go kind of explore and and see things and have these little kind of even though I like I had a brother they they but 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 have time on my own to kind of climb trees and and have little areas behind places where people did things yeah you know and also yeah just even have places that while they exist in the world they obviously are literal real places you can yeah. point to on a map that's what there I are places that are important childhood. to you yeah there are yeah. places that like they're, you know, you might point to the map and say, okay, well, that's, you know, that's a little place out the back of the farm or whatever. That's a little, like, watering hole or whatever. But that's your watering hole. That's a place that you go to think or you go to remember or stuff like that. I think when you're growing up, we'd all have a place like that. Most of mine would have been, like, playgrounds, weirdly enough, you know. Because um, I, I lived on a housing estate and there were lots of playgrounds built around. But no families had moved in. So there were just all these empty playgrounds sort of sitting ah, around. I, 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 I... <coughs> I moved into an estate one time where half of the estate hadn't been built yet. So there was huge kind of mounds of 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 dirt. Like 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 kind of little um little mountains and valleys of of, of um where all of this earth had just been kind of like pushed, pushed. to one side. And that was that, that that was a fantastic playground. And you kind of um 
uh, go looking for like special types of rock and have a little like collection of um, bits of coal that we had found or or um, quartz or like the odd time there'd be a bit of rose quartz and we'd we'd have some nice examples of pyrite and <laughs> we were really cool kids we were super cool kids i feel like those two different those two stories illustrate perhaps the differences between yourself and myself you being very much the rough and tumble child going out climbing mountains and finding exotic minerals darren being like well here's a relic of civilization that has nobody in it i think <laughs> i'll claim it as my own um but there is an element of that to the film like the and the fact that the journey that isaac goes on over the course of the film the fact that he's journeying to go and to pick up like an honorary diploma to, or to, not diploma to, to, but a doctor to celebrate 50 an honorary years doctorate they should make me an honorary idiot um to celebrate 50 years of like teaching and 50 years of being a doctor and 50 years of like just being a great person who is well loved in the community and stuff like that but as he's journeying the travel on the road takes him to places that were important as he grows up. So it becomes, it's not just like a literal drive from A to B to C or whatever, or even like an American road movie where like when, when you have an American road movie, you're typically exploring, you're typically going places where you've never been before. You are like leaving what you know and you're pushing the boundaries and you maybe have a destination or maybe you don't, but you're meeting new people along the way. You're sort of exploring, you're sort of stumbling upon something in this vast continent that is, you know, hasn't been claimed by civilization, isn't you know necessarily known to you. That is sort of like a way of exploring the boundaries of your world. And, like, in this film, you have the opposite, which is, like, the journey backwards is, is almost a retreat. And, again, we talked about this when we talked about, like, Paris, Texas, I think. When we yeah. talked about you had Wim Wenders doing, or Wim Wenders doing a, um, a European-style road movie in America, where you have this sort of contrast between Europe, which is a continent that's very old and very established, has its sort of sense of order and its sense of history. Uh, it's in funny a way- that you mentioned a sense of, a sense of order. I I've 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 something to talk about kind of af- afterwards, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, go on. We'll get back to the sense of order, but like I feel like this is a perfect illustration of that in some ways, or shapes, or form, because you have the American Road movie, which is all about the vast unknowable frontier which offers something new and exciting and is limitless in its potential unless you happen to hit the pacific and then on the other hand you have this road movie that happens here where it's literally like you are going back to the places that were important as a child it's like you're going back to the house where you used to spend your summers you're going to visit your mother you're going back to university you're going to visit your son whereas the 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 younger characters are, are are going to places they have never been yeah so they're 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 going on to Hamburg and then and to Italy, Rome. I presume. Yeah, yeah is the plan yeah. as well. But so, anyway, so you were saying about sense of order. Yeah, no, the, something that struck me well, watching this movie, there there is a an accident uh, um, on the road. Side. On on the road, and what struck me watching it was Isaac is driving on the left hand side of the road. Car comes around the corner. Car comes around the corner, driving on the right side of the road. So his left. Um. Co- um so it's 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 looking like a head-on collision. Struck me watching that is because they immediately and the husband comes out and says, "I'm I'm so sorry, my wife is a, a tried to punch me." Yeah, yeah, and it's completely her fault. Um, <laughs> I was Keep thinking, um, shouldn't they be driving on the right side of the road, which which is the European standard? How and and I looked it up and I found yes. Sweden do drive on the right-hand side of the road. However, oh, 
this I don't like when Andrew knows stuff. <laughs> this, <laughs> I find this unnerving. This um was not always the case. Ah. This movie is in nineteen fifty seven. Yes. In nineteen fifty seven ah. in Sweden they drove on the left hand side of the road. It was only when did they in nineteen sixty seven that they adopted the same standard, which which, which makes you think of they, it's it's fine for somewhere like like an old British colony uh, uh, col- colony will generally have uh, driving on the left hand side of the road. So like you you have somewhere like Montserrat in in the Caribbean where it's not an issue because you're not going to be entering another country <laughs> where. Um, where you may have to change over suddenly. Exactly. And there's a few other ex- a- examples. I think uh, the old British Guiana um, had, they, there, there's like a border with Brazil and maybe. Um, I was wondering this, like if you're driving from, say, the UK to France in the tunnel, right? You can drive via tunnel, right? No. No, you can't drive via tunnel. No. I, okay. I was going to wonder which side do you come out on. Okay, that's grand. Yeah, I, I was wondering back when back and there, so when there, you cross a border, there are instances of this still. So like the the old um, the old British colonies in Africa, like former Rhodesia, uh, the uh, the likes of I think I might be wrong. No, I, I believe I'm right. In South Africa, they drive on the left. So there 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 has to be a point on the road um, where you swap. Yeah, when 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 you're crossing over the border, where you either have a set of traffic lights where 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 well that wouldn't really work. yeah well, where is the where, point where you yeah. cross over like so you have a set of traffic lights i i, I guess is one way of doing it where, where 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 at one point the traffic from coming from say sweden into norway is moving from the left hand side to the right hand side of the road and then uh, you get a red light and then the traffic coming from Norway to Sweden comes from the right-hand side to the left-hand side of the road. Or you have, I guess, a bridge or a tunnel. But th- this, this, this all changed for, for lots of obvious practical reasons. In yeah. 1967, it was called uh, Dagen H, or the H Day. Uh, it's usually called today, um, this is exactly how people pronounce it, <laughs> Hoger Traffic Come Lagenen. I like. Was this what you set up when you promised that later on you would mispronounce something? Yes. This was all set up and payoff, which is exactly, very good. Yeah. Well, this is great storytelling. Though. No, no, it is. Well, I find it absolutely <laughs> fascinating because I never really thought about like how you must logically cross over, particularly if you have a land border, and then you. Yeah, just... Well, I don't know. Th- th- those are the three options in my mind. Yeah. Is that either you have a um, or you a, build just dual carriageways tunnel... and have them swap? Yeah. 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 So. So. So you're on a dual carriageway, and then and then you have to turn turn off onto onto either, yeah either go go above or below the the other road. Yeah, and then sort of like just you know nobody comment on it. It's just sort of a thing that's accepted. It's just like well we're we're switching over now. Yeah, definitely uh, don't have the um, the traffic lights as I suggested, but I, I, I'm 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 sure with the large borders that they that they have like like I would imagine Norway and Sweden are are one of the lo- longest borders land borders in yeah. in, in Europe. Probably. They certainly would because obviously they run the length down the peninsula. Um, it. It is the peninsula, yeah. right? Because it is. Although, yeah. Uh, yeah. Although, although Nor- Nor- Norway's um, Norway has a an east coast, so it, it's not the whole length of Norway, but it's certainly the whole 
um, length of, of Sweden. Of Sweden. Yeah. And yeah, you imagine that they're going to cross over and intersect at various points. So yeah, actually, there's a there's a good point. I did like that when the car crash happened, Andrew's first question was, wait, what, what side of the road were they traveling on? Because yeah. when we were watching it, when you're watching that scene now, it almost looks like, you know, it's it's Isaac's fault that the accident happens. Yeah. Uh, and like, that's the moment where, like when the when the car crashes, the I other car- he was the lunatic because yeah. he was driving on the left-hand side of the road. The other car is total. It's turned upside down and stuff. Like you imagine that the movie may take a very different turn where they're like, okay, kids, the cops are going to ask some questions. Fun, fun, funny thing about Sweden as well at the time and, and like as fascinating as this discussion has been so far is that they drove on the left, but also the drivers were on the left. Yeah. Which it, which which is nor, normally if you drive on the left as, as well, we the drivers Ireland, near the center the of the drivers road. Drivers on the right. Yeah, the drivers should be near the center of the yeah. road, right, for perspective reasons and stuff. But it, thought. in 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 Sweden at the time, most most of the cars followed the the kind of American left hand left hand well, side driver. I was gonna say, presumably you're importing the cars and stuff like that, right? You you probably well, have they, some they, of the same car market as Norway. So it was a crash um, with a Volkswagen, I think. Yeah, a very hip young car because yeah. they remark that, that Isaac's lots of Citroens and yeah well they remark that Isaac's car is very old and outfashioned and and much like the driver himself as well it's incredible as well how cars were made back then that they, that they weren't made to be just kind of like uh, smushed like a melogen to, <laughs> to 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 prevent the um the driver and passenger being like crushed basically like a yeah. tin sardine but the, the, the um... Because there's a great shot when they're pulling the car out of the sort of ditch on the side of the road where there's a, one of the students is, I think it's it's Andres, is in the car trying to steer it. There's and An- Anders and Victor. Anders and Victor. One of them is in the car trying to steer it and he has to crouch down because the ceiling no longer exists. The, you know, the ceiling's been pressed down and it's just a great visual of like... Yeah. The, the crazy you can't sit in the driver's seat and drive the car anymore because you can't <laughs> lean down. Crazy thing is that the car gets uh, car drives off the road and is turned upside down. It's turned up the right way and they drive away. <laughs> there, there is no um, res, uh, uh, roadside uh, rescue. No, right? no. They, 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 because well, this was 1957. To be fair, exactly. I, I well, mean, there was I a mean, moment where you thought that Marianne was playing with her phone. Yeah. While she was talking about, uh, while she was having that very emotional conversation with the flashback to that conversation about children, there's a point where she's playing with something it looks inside like the she's car. She's on her iPhone. Yeah, it does and her look fingers like she... just kind of keep moving up and down like, like she's swiping, checking Twitter or something like that. Or it's Tinder. Because like... <laughs> <laughs> Lord knows the relationship has descended that Ashley far. Madison. Already. Do they have an app? I don't know. They're they're not sponsors of this episode. <laughs> Luckily we didn't get enough. them in time. Uh, we we tried very hard, but we couldn't yeah. find them. What was the relationship with with Isaac and his housekeeper? Because I was kind of wondering at the like at the start of that, they're they're bickering and stuff like that. No, and it's very it's formal. It, um, she calls him professor. He calls him Miss Alga. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and at the end, you have this sort of. <laughs> weird thing where he's like you know we've known each other for nearly like 40 years at this point can we drop the formalities maybe it's like oh people would talk um it would be it would be improper um pe- pe- people would think that we're far too familiar and would kind of like imply a sort of a a, a, a romance almost between the two of them um and, and then yeah and then she says um my my door is open like you know where to find me yeah which seems like a very suggestive sort of comment because there is a bit at the start where she's like every morning i thank 
God for the fact that I'm not married to you. Yeah, because we just occasionally have sex. He's <laughs> he's upset with the with the nagging and, <laughs> yeah. and says, "Oh, we're not married." Um, and says, "Oh, yes, yeah." Every morning, I thank God. Because there is a weird, like, I wonder if that's if we're meant to read something like that into the relationship, particularly at the end, because that line is very conspicuous. Where it's like, "I'll be down the hall." I'll leave my door open. You know where to find me. And again, I'll leave maybe, your door open as well yeah. for ease of access. So maybe this is a thing that's lost in translation. Because obviously Hello. the obviously the way in which you say um, something like that, the way in which you deliver a line like that gives an audience what they read into it. Like, so, yeah. you know, how you stress the syllables and something like that as compared to like reading the words as blank text. But when I was reading the words in blank text and watching the actor, in particular, like her eyebrows. Well, I guess the, the subtitles. The subtitles, sorry. What, yeah. was, what was I saying I was reading? The, 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 the text. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the, the subtitles. So when I was reading the subtitles and just watching the actor, bo- the actor's body language. Now, obviously, I don't understand enough Swedish uh, or Swiss. Wait, Swedishness? Swedish? Swedish, yes. Enough Swedish, sorry. I don't understand enough Swedish to... Although, like, like this movie could have... could. Um, actually, there isn't such a language as Swiss. Yeah. I think there's like a Swiss French and Swiss German and Swiss <laughs> Italian. Well, yeah, there was a moment at the start they where Andrew asked... could have been speaking asked... Swedish. Uh, <laughs> they could have been speaking Swiss German. And, and we would have had no idea. Well, there was a moment at the start where you asked, which language is this in? <laughs> which was the moment where it dawned on me that you had chosen this movie completely at random. Um, and I had no idea what you're doing. But... As opposed to what we normally do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there, there is... Like, I do wonder, are we meant to read the idea that maybe uh you know isaac and alga have you know maybe they you know maybe they're not as lonely physically as you know the the film would have led you to believe that isaac is up until that point there's there's a little visual here from dag and h where they have um the the logo for for for, for the for, swap over. for the day they swapped and they, it it happened during the night by the way and and they 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 just have a little arrow crossing from one side to, to of the road to another in a, in a very dangerous looking maneuver. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's to illustrate what's happening, not to suggest how you. Can... <laughs> if you are driving on this side of the road, swerve immediately and quickly across the across the line. But yeah. So I was wondering, do you do you think I'm reading too much into it? Do you think that some of that stuff is there? Do you think that uh, we are meant to suggest that maybe because the film is is quite candid about sex in some respects. Like there's a moment after um, after Isaac's wife um, has that encounter in the woods where you see her adjusting her skirt. So there's absolutely no ambiguity about what happened, as opposed to earlier with Sarah, where um, Siegfried kisses her and she sort of she falls to the ground and says, you've made me a fallen woman nearly. Um, so I wonder, like, are we meant to read or interpret, you yeah, know, something I, into those? I feel, I feel like it's, it's, it's her saying, kind of like, oh, if you want to come over, you can. Uh, NBD. <laughs> um, uh, maybe it'll be nice. Um, it, 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 it probably won't, but sure. Uh, that's <laughs> try life. it once, yeah. <laughs> try. We're, we're we're getting too old for this game. But I, I do like that the movie is can be that candid and playful in a way that you would... I don't think you would see in many American films around the same time. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe that's a, an expression of certain aspects of American culture. Because there's a puritanism that runs through... I think even movies today tend to be quite skittish about sex and sexuality. Yeah. And to see it in a 1957 sort of Swedish film is... Uh, yeah, it's it's not... It's not it's not shy. It's She's saying, uh, don't you wish your dead wife was a freak <laughs> like me? Um, yeah. Don't you? Uh-huh. Um, 
Well, not quite. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that maybe maybe subtext rather than subtitles. To be yeah. honest, um, we don't know how sexually suggestive uh, "I'll leave your door jar" is in Swedish. Yeah, and and also you can't read you can't read tone into a foreign language, which is one of the read like, eyebrows. Yeah, you can read eyebrows. Read eyebrows. I did like I'll, the... although in some countries that means I feel uncomfortable. Leave me alone. Yeah, well, it's like smiling. Smiling too much in some countries can be uncomfortable. Uh, but there's also I did like that you zoned in on one Swedish word in particular. Can you remember what it is? It was also oh. from that iconic sequence, that, that great sequence that we talked about. The moment where Andrew turned to me and said, this movie's better you oh, know, no. than, than I want it to be. Because there's a moment where Ivald is sort of talking to uh, Marianne. I hope you remember this. How word. he can't possibly um, imagine bringing a child like into a world how careless and how cruel and how horrible it would be to make a sweet baby together because the world is a cruel and uncaring mistress that you know inflicts nothing but suffering i will not invent i will not must it have another wretch and not yes. create another wretch for this world to crush under its heel and there's a moment where he he says the word loneliness ah. and not only is it in italics in the in the sort of subtitles it's also repeated at the very end and the moment he said it andrew repeated it as if to sort of store it and to recall it and so that he would have a little bit of swedish that he could use at a later occasion do we remember what that word was andrew we certainly do not <laughs> <laughs> however the, having consulted the, the fact having machine. consulted the fact machine i believe oh god there's more than one <laughs> option i believe it was ensliget ensliget <laughs> Uh, which Loneliness. is which is just beautiful, and particularly because other, it's, other options are insomnet. <laughs> why? Why are you skilled at? Okay. Odsli, overgiven at. But I believe it is insliget. Insliget. But it is because it, it's that's the sort of stock stereotypical European art house. You know, Five Hundred Days of Summer, where they do that uh, that wonderful sketch of French cinema, yeah. where um, what's it, where Joseph Gordon Levitt goes to a cinema and watches a French film in black and white. Like you can almost imagine a version of this film where it just sort of zooms in on Isaac. Like you know, there's a great shot where Sarah shows up after this conversation taking place with flowers to give him, and like the whole set goes dark, and the camera sort of zooms in on Isaac, and the light focuses so it's just him alone in the world you can almost imagine Bergman at the edge of the scene whispering softly it's like it um and then Finn um but yeah it, it sort of it does capture the essence of the movie in some way shape or forms but I, I do like and we mentioned at the start I do like that it, it isn't it doesn't commit to this wholeheartedly as much as it acknowledges that loneliness and isolation walling yourself off from the world are in some ways an acceptable or understandable response to you know being disappointed and being hurt and being wounded you you can still get back in you can still connect like Marianne at the start of the trip makes it very clear that she has no real time for Isaac she has no they they speak with again stereotypical European frankness at the start of the movie where Isaac's like you don't really like me very much do you and Marianne is like yes let me tell you why I do not like you very much um and then at the end you have a scene yes 
Yeah. <laughs> which is wonderfully candid and frank. And then at the end, you have a moment where Isaac's lying in bed like this wonderful, beloved grandfather. And she comes in and she smiles at him as if to say, we've made our peace on this sort of, you know, 14 hour road journey that we've just had today. And I, I like that. I feel like it helps the movie not feel as depressing as maybe we've described it as being, particularly when the one Swedish word that we took from the film was... Enslegat. And and also, not only is this movie not as depressing as... um, as it as it may seem at points, and it and and it is depressing, but there's a balance to it. But not only does 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 that um, I guess evaluation not just apply to this movie, I believe that also applies to life. I th- I, th- I think last year uh, I, I mentioned the 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 it might be difficult to find. <laughs> it may require a a subscription to 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 uh, uh, Stitcher Premium, but there there was an episode of um, the old Affirmation Nation with 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 Bob Duca. Um, this is um, a char- character by Seth Morris, who I had the, who I had the pleasure of seeing um, when you were in L.A. When, yeah, when 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 I was in L.A., which 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 was a great kind of. Um, I guess um, op- opportunity, and I was delighted to have seen him as someone that I really admire. But he, uh, one one of the things he had included in 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 that podcast was the um, was the Daniel Johnson lyrics to "True True Love Will Find You in the End." Uh, with with and and, and the, 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 I I I I suppose I'd I'd, I'd um. The, the yeah the, 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 that life and 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 love isn't. Um, so hopeless there is hopelessness i suppose in life and in love um but 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 that but that uh, in this movie as 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 in life and as in love there 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 is a balance and there is a joy and a kind of a hopefulness that 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 people can find it's the um and i i i have the words up here it's um and 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 I will direct you to 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 to, to affirmation podcast, nation. Yeah. Um, we'll include a link in our show notes if we can if we can find it if it absolutely. is available readily. But, um, it was true. God, I've already butchered it. True love will find you in the end. You'll find out just who was your friend. Don't be sad. I know you will, but don't give up until true love will find you in the end. This is a promise with a catch. Only if you're looking can it find you, because true love is searching too. Um, I I suppose the, the 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 just like Christmas, Valentine's Day is a kind of like a, a, a joyous and sentimental <laughs> holiday that can be different, difficult for some people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, as I, doing an Ingmar Bergman film as our Valentine's Day special may perhaps indicate. Yeah. Because um, it is, because it's not, it's, you know, it's not a, it's not always going to be the same for people. It's it's a reminder that you found love and it's great and you can be very happy, but it's, it can also be a point where you do feel crippling with only and you do feel like isolated and you feel apart from everybody and you feel like maybe you don't have the same happiness that other people mm. seem to have found in some ways, you know? Yeah. That it, hope, hope is a thing. Yeah, thank you. Have um, uh, you seen the recent Star Wars movie? You know that rebellions are built on hope, Andrew. Yeah, I don't know 
how that relates to Valentine's Day, unless <laughs> unless we're suggesting some very sort of aggressive well, yeah, activism. Yeah, I suppose it's a broader um, <laughs> definition of of, of, of rebellion, of, of hope. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, yeah, boy. but it, it, where where we're talking about hope specifically, I suppose in in terms of one's own interior life, yeah. and um, as opposed to some sort of broader social force that will topple galactic. evil in the world. Yeah. Although it would be great if uh, if Valentine's Day did sort of like. <laughs> bring some sort of like uh peace to the world andrew peace to the world yeah so yeah you you, you can um you can remember all of your um loves and loss um you can um uh, remember the um the uh massacre of uh, <laughs> of al capone's enemies <laughs> yeah in, 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 in a, in if you a... want to celebrate valentine's day in a true and honest fashion yes yeah, sometimes sometimes you feel like celebrating valentine's day with dinner and red wine sometimes you feel yeah. like massacring the entire chicago underworld in a very yeah, strategically if, planned if, assault if you're in dublin you can you can visit the i think there's a relic of saint valentine on was it amian street or no, not Amiens Street. No. Um, Anger Street. Yeah. Yes. Which is pretty handy as well, actually, because Valentine. Do you, do you know why Valentine is associated with romance? Just out of curiosity, because I know that uh, wasn't he sacrificed the lions and stuff, and and sort of killed with arrows, if I recall correctly. Um, that feels like overkill. This... I'm going to go in the fact machine and check that. <laughs> I feel like. I think feeding. this is two. Uh, it sounds like two different sayings. <laughs> yes. one, one, I feel like one, one who has sacrificed the lions and one who was who was. I I I think it's Saint Sebastian who had all the arrows to him. I'm not okay, sure. Okay, cool. Because it is. Um, oh yeah, that will be Saint Sebastian. I do like the idea of like Valentine single-handedly wrestling a bunch of lions to the ground, <laughs> and the Roman Empire emperor just being a very bad sport about the whole thing. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll go to the fact machine and we'll check out and see what happened. <laughs> And we're back from the fact machine. So it turns out St. Valentine's cause of death was, Andrew... Beheading. Well, torture, according torture, to Google. Torture by beheading. <laughs> Which so, is a very unconventional yeah, yeah. approach. It's, if, you want, if, you want to, if you want to get your, your um, enemies to... Um, <laughs> Confess. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or to renounce their, their, their <laughs> beliefs. It's like, let's see if you still feel that way after your head's been removed. Okay, removing the head. Now, feeling differently? He's dead. He's, uh, he's not responding, really. You're just torturing him. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. This it's, is the third suspect this week. Yeah, it's... it's um, tell us what you know or we'll cut your other head off. Maybe next time start with the penis. Yeah. Um, but yes, and that is also not why Valentine is associated with Valentine's Day, just in case listeners are uh, are interested. The reason why Valentine's uh, is associated with romance is because Valentine was actually tortured by beheading uh, for marrying Christian couples in secret. So that is why he's known as the saint of courtly love. And that is why Valentine's Day, which was the day on which he was tortured to death by beheading, um, was, and I feel like maybe we're overemphasizing a Google error here, but let's just go with it. Tort- <laughs> the day on which he was tortured to death by beheading, which was the 14th of February, has become known as a day in which we celebrate love. So some days you feel like those couples that Valentine was marrying, and some Valentine's Day you feel like St. Valentine himself. It's it's hard to tell, really. Yeah, yeah. Are the, um, are the executioner. <laughs> 
<laughs> I suppose was, he, he's, he's just getting lost in his job. Today. Yeah, just getting carried away. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, well, you know, you learn something new from every interrogation. Yeah, it's... Beheading, it's, not a very effective they can now, means. They, they can add execution to their LinkedIn profiles. Yeah, That's like CV. a skill yeah. to be endorsed for. <laughs> <laughs> not just torturing anymore. Yeah, is that a promotion technically, do you reckon? Like, uh, do you reckon you get bumped up to, to executioner after torturing? Or do you have to, like, like medieval-wise... Because I feel like killing a suspect is a lot easier than properly torturing them. I feel like yeah. So if you're the authorities and you've 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 sentenced somebody to torture and you're giving them to the I suppose agency of torture and um, <laughs> department yeah, of torture yeah when you 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 you, Dot. you say you say to the to the torture minister um, could you. Could you make this one die? <laughs> and it's like, well, we do have some. Some of our torturers have been known to kill uh, by beheading. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love the idea of the Department of Torture having proper oversight as well. It's like, damn it, we can't just keep having suspects die in custody. There's going to be a proper investigation into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but, mean, do you want to have to start sanitizing these pliers? Do you have any idea how much, san- you know, sort of like disinfectant costs? Well, it's the problem with liberals is they just try to legislate things that are <laughs> going to happen anyway. They, 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 we don't need a law in place to say that you can uh, <laughs> torture someone by, by beheading and kind of execute them. Yeah, just feel it. Be in the moment. People are like, what? Really yeah. confused with the politics of that <laughs> of that statement. Um, but yeah. What? So, what, what does that mean? So, Wild Strawberries. We really, really loved it. Um, and actually, you know that the IFI in Dublin actually does a... It does, I think it's weekly, if not maybe it's monthly screenings for over 55-year-olds that it calls Wild Strawberries as well. Oh. Which is very nice. So they show films. Sometimes they show classic films. Sometimes they show contemporary films. I think recently they did Howard's End, which is a really fantastic um, romance. It's from James Ivory. It's a Merchant Ivory production, actually. We were talking about when we talked about Call by Your Name, Call Me by Your Name. Yeah. Um, but they do these screenings that are intended for her older audiences, uh, which is very nice as well. And apparently, the I believe the Swedish Film Institute also calls its um, collection of like classic film materials wild strawberries as well like the archive where they store their you know antique antique material i believe they call that a wild strawberry patch i take it neither of those collections include um what's it called going out in style going in style going going in style the zach braff film starring was it um michael kane morgan freeman and alan arkin yeah i saw i saw i i was on a i was on a plane recently that's no excuse i'm i'm I'm, I'm talking so much about how i was on i didn't watch it there was somebody next to me watching it so i could see and i was thinking oh this movie looks terrible it's really depressed it's more depressing than terrible it's like you get the sense that this is the life that like isaac borg like if he had lived the life of somebody in going in style, there would be no happy ending to the film. There'd be like no life affirming sort of aspect at the end of it. It's just horribly lifeless. It's incredibly bland. It's a remake of a much more interesting and audacious and ambiguous film that's just sort of packaged in the style of this, uh, was it like Las Vegas? Yeah. Sort of the grey Euro sort of yeah, films. Yeah. The, the films that are aimed at older audiences. It was, but... it was great. Was it... I, well, who... The the film studio that did Las Vegas, they they were they were great in that they would reply to any 
um, uh, person who added them uh, about, on Twitter on, 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 on Twitter uh, kind of um, uh, making fun of the movie they'd say no actually it's great it's lots of fun <laughs> uh, yeah, I love is, the intern I love yeah. the, the office intern it's a very good attitude to have as well and I mean wasn't there there's was a famous example of the British Rail uh, intern who took over oh, yeah. and actually gave like really good proper answers to people's questions and was very sort of it's my first day um, I'm now imagining like a 50 or 70 year old sort of Isaac Borgs at mind the, the kind of go well if I type it's my first day they'll never know yeah I mean it, it seems like a perfect job job for Zach Braff because it would mean <laughs> that he wouldn't be making movies anymore but yeah and he wouldn't be raising Kickstarter dollars to make movies as well Jeez. which is yeah um, anyway a lot of people enjoyed Scrubs I like uh, Scrubs a lot I love Scrubs so early seasons especially and it's people and I, of a certain age but, but like and the, I liked the, I liked uh, his first one as well Garden State it really has, Okay, I thought it was a little indulgent, but I didn't think it was bad. On the other hand, like, Wish wish I Was Here is god-awful. That's the one where he raised money from fans on Kickstarter, which was, like, I would argue is unforgivable. Like, you're... you're <laughs> no, you're, you're, a, you're an actor and director and writer who has, who lives in absolute comfort. And if you're going to use Kickstarter to get your movie financed, it feels like you know, you, you should be putting up at least some of the movie, some of the money yourself. You should be, like, investing as much as other people are investing in you, particularly if you are a brand name, particularly if you are, like, somebody who's, like, using the fact that you were in Scrubs for 10 years as a sort of a leverage, as leverage to get fans to donate yeah, money to your I mean, project. We, don't, we don't imagine that most kind of, like, actors of the um, kind of caliber of Zach Braff have that much money that that they can kind of get a movie made but 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 a small independent movie yeah yeah and and i mean like well okay that's right scrubs wasn't scrubs wasn't bad money particularly the later seasons yeah particularly the later seasons oh yeah anyway so with that (laughs) (laughs) it's a very discursive podcast Braffcast. yeah welcome to Braffcast. um i don't know why i said in that of us like zach braff's movies uh one of us likes zach braff shows which one you'll have to tune in and find out also a lot of scrubs weren't that good i liked scrubs a lot that doesn't mean they were good (laughs) (laughs) touche um but yeah so with that in mind then guys uh take it easy we'll be back next week in the meantime you can find andrew online at a q u i n n i u q a you can send me a a valentine's day message to brighten up my day we haven't asked this in a while what are you up to andrew actually because we used to do things like you do podcast recommendations you point people towards stuff that you're listening to recommendations and stuff like maybe yeah we did (laughs) for a little while like your podcast you point out like norm norm mcdonald's sort of comedy and stuff like that you point to particular podcasts that you're listening to like if people um I don't know. Recent discovery has been mostly dominated by me finally getting a um, Stitcher Premium subscription. So I'd I'd, I'd probably... Oh, recommendations from your ivory tower. Yeah, I I, I suppose for for people who are are thinking about it to go ahead, what I I think I might have mentioned already on 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 the podcast that one of my... The highlight of that experience so far has been finding out that my um, catchphrase was used in an episode back in like 2014. I think it was a live episode from Chicago that was behind the paywall. Oh, where they where they used the um, catchphrase when when life gives you a trumpet, play jazz. Would it, it's so it, 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 and and it's now encouraged me to to come up with more catchphrases. Maybe we should be using catchphrases for this show, like. Um, 
I don't know. Um, it would have to be a nonsensical comedy bang bang style catchphrase. Like, keep your friends close and your coffee for closers. Or, I like it. Uh, yeah, I better put that up on the Earwolf form now, just in case <laughs> some of our listeners gets it first. Um, um, other other stuff that I've listened to lately have been, um, I guess, recent subscriptions have been Note to Self. Actually, I won't talk about that one, although it is quite good. Um, the Note to Self does have a recent episode with Charlie Brooker. Um, oh, Black Mirror! Yeah, to to the 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 discussing uh, Black Mirror, I'm, and I'm, obviously I'm, he worked on stuff like Brass Eye as well, and stuff I'm, he goes I'm back doing to. I'm doing his producer a disservice by not mentioning her name. I'm, I might I might just 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 uh, quickly drop the information. Quick, then. quickly drop the information. But yeah, Charles Charles Brooker is fantastic. Um, wonderful, wonderful writer, particularly very involved in the the British comedy. He was involved in not the eleven o'clock news as well. Annabelle Jones, Annabelle Jones. The other one I might recommend is Mission to Zix, which is currently, we were just speaking about Kickstarters, it's currently launching a Kickstarter because it's a very produced podcast yeah. with a lot of kind of um, sound engineering in, involved in it because it, it's the... It's is the, it narrative it's, or is it... A- yeah, it's, it's, it's the mission. I'll, do, I'll, I'll just tell you very quickly. It's an improvised science fiction podcast following a team of ambassadors as they attempt to establish diplomatic relations with planets in a remote and chaotic Zix quadrant, or the Tremillion sector. They work for the benevolent and harmonious Federated Alliance. Darren is kind of feeling like, <laughs> maybe I wish I hadn't asked him. But they, 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 they work for the benevolent and harmonious Federated Alliance, which has recently defeated the evil galactic monarchy. <laughs> The Federal Alliance is definitely less evil. The Alliance's <laughs> newest recruit is Ambassador Plek Dexeter, who's a naive gung-ho farm boy whose crew includes trusty know-it-all droid C-53 and hulking omnisexual security officer D.A.R. They travel aboard the outdated sentient starship the Bargarian Jade, a.k.a. Bargy, who has as many ex-husbands as stories about her glory days. Their mission is nominally overseen by Junior Missions Operations Management Nermush Bundeloy, a striving entry-level bureaucrat yearning for respect. So, and, and they, 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 they have guests, and it's improvised. So they had Paul F. Tompkins, for example, recently, which I thought was very good. And, 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 and as well, it's a lot of people that, that I, I didn't know existed b- 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 before I listened to the podcast, which, which is a delight. because some, good, yeah. Some, sometimes kind of like lis- listening to podcasts that you've had for years you yearn for the people who are on in the early days but who are now kind of like too doing their big own thing or, yeah. To, yeah yeah um, so it's good to discover people and to have that sort of to have that circle expand almost in some yeah. way shape or so form. mission to six i'd say um it's 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 a bit of fun i i what i should probably do with it is start from the beginning well it's only on season two now right um yeah i think they're doing a kickstarter for okay me. cool um you can find me at darren underscore mooney um you can find the 250 at at the 250 we are on soundcloud itunes uh overcast podwatch all these other sort of places as well um if you like us please feel free to leave a positive review online or to share it to get the word out there actually subscribe you can subscribe as well you can get directly to your inbox or directly to your phone even on the on the day in question um if you like it tell everyone if you don't like it tell us uh we'll be back next week with a regularly scheduled episode take it easy guys bye true love will find you in the end You'll find out just who was your friend.
Give up and tell. True love will find you. 